Well, good morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new here today. My name is Alex. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're thrilled for joining us here as a guest, especially on Labor Day weekend. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here, whether you're in person or online and traveling. Thanks for uh, joining us here to be a part of uh, Sunday morning at Chatham Community Church. If you are new, what we are all about is pretty straightforward. It's all about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good, kind of according to God's purposes, to do what he can for his grace and mercy to be brought to our broken and weary world. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. This is week three of our series called Inner Strength, Building a Resilient Core in a Culture that's More Anxious and Depressed Clinically Than Ever Before. Wouldn't it be great if you were more resilient in the face of all life's ups and downs, the inevitable challenges that we all face? If you're just joining us, we're spending the first couple weeks talking about the voices in your head. Because you hear voices and I hear voices. Or we have patterns of thought that are habituated, ways we think about ourselves, ways we think about our past our present, our future potential, ways we think about how other people, how other people see us, how other people see the world, ways that we think about God, all these voices in our heads. And some of those voices have been very helpful. Sometimes you've been able to overcome obstacles, overcome anxiety or fear, and push through to do remarkable things. And sometimes the voices in your own head are your own worst enemy. Jesus, one of his most powerful statements and profound statements, said this, if you hold on to my teaching, if you root yourself, abide in my teaching, kind of ground yourself in my teaching, uh, then you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Although someone this week told me, uh, actually there should be a denim to this, then you will know the truth, and first the truth will make you really, really mad. Because sometimes the truth isn't so easy, right? Sometimes we prefer the lies. Sometimes we prefer kind of things that, that are kind of massaged around our preferences. But Jesus says, listen, if you know the truth and if you're willing to push forth, kind of push through some of your initial resistance to the truth, the truth will set you free, free to be resilient, free to be at peace, free to be a person of joy, free to be a person who's generous, free to be a person who's courageous and strong in the midst of all kinds of challenges. You know the truth, the truth will set you free. If, if, that's, if that's true, then the inverse is also true, that lies trip you, trap you up, weaken you, diminish you, and make you smaller. When lies are running your life, lies will ruin your life, even if they're pleasant lies, even if you kind of like the lies, even if they kind of work for you for some period of time. Truth will set you free. Lies will trap you, diminish you, weaken you. And so here's the question. What happens when the voices in your head are on repeat uh, are lies, are bound up in lies? Lies about who you are, lies about who the world is and what the world's about, and lies about God himself. What happens when you've rehearsed a lie over and over and over again, hours, days, weeks, months, years, even decades? You can become all tangled up in a lie that weakens you, traps you, diminishes you. And so one of the core spiritual practices to get to a resilient place is to surface these core lies that work in our hearts and our lives. Some of them have been on play for so long we don't even realize they're in operation and replace them with the truth that sets us free. Week one, we talked about the performance lie. You are what you've achieved, what you've accomplished, whether that's your GPA, your academics, your athletics, whether it's your career, uh, whether it's kind of how far up the, the ladder you've climbed, whether it's your parenting and how well you perform as a parent. That's one lie that I am my performance. The, the lie we talked about last week was the lie of accumulation. I am what I have. My value or worth is how much money I have in the bank or what kind of car I drive or what neighborhood I live in or the clothes I wear. That's the accumulation lie. This week, we're talking about the people-pleasing lie. That is, I am what other people think about me. That my value or worth or security is in having people's acceptance and approval. Now let's get one thing out of the way right away. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't have a people-pleasing bone in your body. In fact, you don't like people. In fact, you kind of like it when people don't like you because you already don't like them and now you have an excuse to not like them. How awesome is that? 
Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? People pleasing is not in your vocabulary. So I'm going to give you your wildly important take home here four minutes in. Jesus said, the greatest, most important command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't be ambivalent toward your neighbor or dislike your neighbor and follow Jesus. And so for some of you, the five of you here who don't care what other people think about you, the most important thing you could do is to ask God to break your heart for your neighbor. To love your neighbor the way that Jesus calls us to, that we might walk in the way of Jesus. That's your wildly important take home. You can sit back and relax. Please enjoy the ride. The rest of us, we got work to do. In February 2009, Facebook invented and introduced the like button. Future historians will see that as the end of Western civilization as we know it. The person who invented the like button many years later said, I regret ever doing it. It has so thinned out our ability to have real conversations. It turned social media into a like me contest. And for some of us, that's really our whole lives, isn't it? Like me, please like me, please accept me. I need you to accept me. And some of us, this plays out in a number of different ways, right? Some of you don't think you care about what people think about you. But here's the question. Here's the litmus test. How do you respond when people criticize you? If you don't care, then you shouldn't care. If you get all upset and angry about it, then you do care. You care what people think about you. Today we're going to look at this sort of litmus test, right, of, of criticism. Because here's the deal. Some of us spend our whole lives and all kinds of energy contorting ourselves to get people to like us and accept us and approve of us. To avoid rejection and criticism. And when you're spending all this time, all this energy contorting yourself to get other people to like you, you are nothing like resilient, are you? You're one criticism away from being totally deflated and undone. Today, we're going to be set free from the lie that you need people to like you for you to be valuable and worthwhile in this world. So that you might be set free, because the truth will set you free to be the most resilient version of you that you can possibly be. Today, we're going to look at uh, the Apostle Peter. We're going to look at two different stories. One where he stands up in the face of criticism to like a group of people that he loves and respects but, and aren't happy with him. And we're going to see how he is able to push through people-pleasing to anchor himself in something much more important than making people like you, which is the purposes of God. And when you know what the purposes of God are and you fix your heart on that, people's opinions get way smaller. And God's approval, God's delighted over you becomes much more important. And then we're going to look at a second story where Peter caves back into old habits, where he actually caves into people-pleasing and getting people's approval. And we're going to watch how he's way weaker and how that brings sort of disunity, how that brings this destructive to a whole community. We're going to see how Peter's people-pleasing, how he fights through in one instance, how he caves in another one, and how you can see the fruits of it in his life in the world around him. Now, if you're new to the Bible, uh, Peter's one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he's really a leader in the early church. And in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter does something that doesn't sound too crazy to us, but it was completely audacious given the culture that he was in as a first century Jew. He went into a house of someone who wasn't a Jew. Shocking, I know. But in the first century, that was a complete violation of all their religious habits and practices and customs. In fact, it was different than he would have done himself, except that God told him to do this crazy new thing. And after Peter goes into the house of a man who's not a Jew, 
the people get wind of it, right? The, the Jewish Christians get wind of this. And you know how that goes, right? You do 10,000 beautiful things, no one notices a thing. You, may, you do one thing that makes people mad, everyone knows it within 1,000 miles by sundown. So all these people are upset that Peter has done, gone and done this thing that no one did in the first century if you were a good Jew. And so Peter goes back up to Jerusalem, and there's this sort of council, this sort of conversation where they sort of call into account, Peter, what are you doing? And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Here's how the story goes. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea, that's the area all around Jerusalem. So those are all the Jewish Christians. The apostles and believers around Judea heard the Gentiles, as everyone in the world is not Jewish, also had received the word of God, which you would think they'd be happy about, but they're not. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, that is the Jewish Christians, and here is the most despised word for all of us people pleasers. The circumcised Christians, the Jewish Christians, they did what? They criticized him. Ugh, gut-wrenching. And said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So of the uh, three core lies we're talking about here in this series, two of them are ones that I really battle a lot with. One is the performance lie, that I am my performance. The other lie that I really struggle with and, 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 and battle is today's lie, the, the people-pleasing lie. So here's how God has decided to help set me free from the lie of people-pleasing. You know what God has done in his kindness? He's called me to ministry. Do you know what ministry is full of? Lots and lots of people. Do you know what's true about lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people? You can't please lots and lots and lots of people all the time. Oh, goody. It's like my worst nightmare. It's been 25 plus years of my worst nightmare. Trying to unhook from my need to have other people like me. What a tremendous gift that's been horrible at various points along the way. Well, as we're going to see, Peter's also a people pleaser. And Peter has done this thing that he himself would have not done just like a week earlier. Except that God's sort of done something. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And what happens is people that he has spent the last couple of years building the church in Jerusalem and Judea with. People, these are his friends. They criticize him. These aren't just random trolls on the internet. These are people he's served with and been in the trenches with. He really respects and appreciates these people. And these people are criticizing a decision that he made. We're going to talk about why he did that here in just a little bit. But let me ask you a question. What happens to you when you get criticized? What happens inside your heart? What are the conversations you have in your head? What's the button that gets pushed when someone that you love and respect, that you really care about, criticizes you? And let me ask you a question. What's that, what's that button doing there to begin with? How'd that button come about? For some of us, that reaction is so visceral. It's so strong why are you reacting so strongly to the potential of someone criticizing you or someone actually criticizing you peter here has to face the critics that he did something that they don't approve of and what we're going to see here what empowers peter to stay strong in the face of rejection potential rejection and criticism is that he cares more about god and god's purposes and what god's up to than what the people around him think even the people that he respects and loves and admires he cares more about god than he does people's opinion and that's how the story unfolds as we continue to read in acts 11 starting in verse 4. starting from the beginning peter told them the critics the whole story i was in the city of joppa praying and in a trance i saw a vision 
I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, these are all non-kosher foods, foods that the Jews had been prohibited for eating from eating for centuries. So Peter, of course, is a good Jewish guy, and he's like, no way, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This whole thing happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Three times the same message, because some of us are more stubborn than others. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Three times God says, I know this thing that you thought is out of bounds and kind of prohibited. I know that's how you thought of this before, but what if I'm doing something new? What if, I'm, what if I'm making something clean that you formerly thought was unclean? Now, at this point, Peter's pretty puzzled, right, in, in, in the experience of this vision and this dream. If it's me, I'm thinking, barbecue sandwiches. Let's go. Time for the pig picking. But the Lord has something better for Peter than merely to introduce him to the wonders of pulled pork. He's got a, a work for him to do. And here's how that work unfolds, verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me, have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we all entered the man's house. It wasn't just me. These six other guys are with me. If I'm going down, I'm taking the six of these guys with me. So take that. Uh, he told us, the man Cornelius, Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send a Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He'll bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So at just the time that God was showing Peter this vision of these animals that he could maybe now eat, these four guys show up who are not Jews and say, come to this other non-Jewish man's house. And contrary to everything Peter had been taught to do or not do his whole life, because the Spirit says, have no hesitation about going with these men. He goes and does something that he never would have done, even like 24 hours earlier. Except that he's had a vision and had a conviction, had direction from God that this is what God wants him to do. Even though the people around him and his friends and peers aren't going to get it. They're not going to be happy about it. He says, I'm going to go do what God has sent me to do. That's how the story unfolds, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they all praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life one picture of my people-pleasing tendencies was when i was uh, 19 years old and in college and uh, i got selected to be on our leadership team of our campus ministry it was about 250 students there's about nine of us on the sort of leadership team and i got selected to be on it and uh, i really respected and loved the other eight or nine students on this leadership team and they were so cool and so smart and so like so mature and i finally made it to the cool kids table in the cafeteria right like that was it i was hanging out with the cool kids and that was awesome so we went away for a weekend to kind of a get to know you weekend kind of for us to kind of get bond a little bit and do some planning for the next year ahead and part of the weekend was they asked us get to know you questions and one of the get to know you kind of icebreaker questions was when you get new clothes for your birthday or for Christmas do you wear them right away or do you put them in the rotation for later 
Now, there is only one correct answer to this question, and I know what it is. If you get new clothes that you love and think are cool, what do you do but you put them on right away? Maybe, in fact, if it's not inappropriate, you take off old clothing and put on the new clothing because you love it so much. That is the only right answer. And if I have more than one set of new clothes that I love, I'm going to wear that new clothes one day, and then the next day I'm going to new clothes, the next day new clothes, until I have no more new clothes left that I love. So there is clearly and obviously one correct right answer to the question, what do you do with new clothes that you love? You put them on right away. Amen? Oh, no. That was a fun. <laughs> to my shock and horror as we went around the circle, everyone is giving the wrong answer. Everyone's saying, no, yeah, when I get new clothes, I, I unwrap it and I put it away and I wear it later, I wear it later, I wear it later. And so what am I supposed to do as a 19-year-old who loved and respects all these people? What else can I do but bold-faced lie? <laughs> oh, yeah, I open new clothes, I just put it away, you know, kind of, school, 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 nothing to do. People pleasers, how many times have you told a story about yourself that wasn't true? Covered up, exaggerated something. To try to fit what you thought the people around you wanted to hear. How many times have you massaged a story, told something, not quite told the whole truth, just to try to land just so, just right, so the people around you approve, accept, won't reject you? Let's talk about what people-pleasing is, shall we? And I say this as a recovering people-pleaser myself to fellow people-pleasers whom I love. People-pleasing is people-using. I need you to like me so I can like me. I need your approval to prop me up. People-pleasing is people-using. I need you to like me so I can like me. I need your approval to make me feel good about myself. And if you spend your life allowing this to run your life, it will ruin your life because it's a mirage, right? It's endless, never-ending, right? You're constantly having to make sure people around you approve, approve, approve. You're constantly contorting yourself and chasing after people's approval in order to make you feel good about yourself. You've done this before, haven't you? You've been on this hamster wheel, haven't you, people-pleasers? You've been on this hamster wheel, right? Getting you nowhere, trying to make sure that you fit just right, and the right group of people doing the right things. This is about the most self-defeating, least resilient thing you could possibly do to contort yourself to get other people to like you. Nothing resilient about that whatsoever. And what we see here with Peter is something entirely different. What we see here with Peter is he is facing down the critics, a crowd of people that he knows and he loves. And here's what Peter does not do. Peter doesn't massage the story. Peter doesn't say, well, this guy Cornelius called me, but I didn't go inside his house. We hung out in the back deck. We hit the porch. We smoked a cigar. Told him about Jesus. He doesn't cover up the story. doesn't massage the story. He tells him exactly what he has done. Even though the people aren't going to like it, even though the critics are there, even though this is what they're upset about, he does not massage the story to get them to like him. His eyes are not fixed on the crowd. His eyes are fixed on the purposes of God. God has given him a command. Have no hesitation about going to this place that you would have not gone six hours ago to. I don't want to set you free to be a part of what I'm doing. That's bigger than you ever imagined. It's different than you ever imagined. And people aren't going to like it. And so the question is, are you going to bow and surrender your future, your spirit, your life to people-pleasing, or are you going to give yourself over to the God who made you and loved you and redeemed you and who calls you to his purposes? Because, my friends, one of those paths of your life is going to be exhausting and anxiety-producing and make you zero resilience. And the other path 
with the truth that will set you free. That there's a God in heaven who created you for bigger purposes than merely keeping the people around you happy. There's a God who made you for bigger purposes than merely trying to get people around you to like you so you can like you. There's a God in heaven who smiles over you, who sings over you, who delights in you, and he declares, you're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love. I have sent my son and shed his blood to purchase you back from the dead. You are more beloved than you could ever hope or imagine. Don't look to the people around you to tell you that. Look to Jesus to tell you that. And here, he's got a purpose for your life, in your life. He's got work for you to do, really good work for you to do. And that work... It's not about keeping everyone around you happy or making everyone around you like you so that you can like you. That work is for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done in you and through you as it is in heaven. You build your life around that. That's the truth that will set you free. You build your life around trying to keep other people happy with you or getting to like you. That is, what, that is a lie that will enslave you till the day you die. My friends, this is the core work here for us people pleasers. Replace chasing after people's approval with Rabidly, doggedly, faithfully, steadily, steadfastly pursuing the purposes of God. That's what frees Peter from people-pleasing. And it frees you and me, too. There's a, a book a number of years ago. It had a great title. I didn't read it, but it had a great title. It said, When People Are Big and God Is Small. When people are big and God is small, their voices sound really loud. Their approval and acceptance sound really loud. When God is small, when God's in the background, when God's in the margins, it, it, it robs you from the joy of actually knowing what God's up to and doing, living the life that God has given you to live. People pleasers, when you've been chasing after people's approval and you replace it with God's purposes, you're so much more resilient. So, I mean, the question obviously is like, well, what's God's purpose? Well, you know, like, what's God's purpose? How do I know what God's purpose is? Well, we better go find out, shouldn't we? We better go find out. What are God's purposes? My friends, maybe you should spend the rest of your life figuring out what God's purposes are so that you don't waste another day of your life exhausted. Maybe you should go chase after God's purposes like your peace depends on it, like your joy depends on it. Maybe you should go chase after God's purposes for you and in the world as if your whole life depended on it. Because maybe, just maybe, it actually does. Your resilience, your peace, your joy actually does hang on whether or not you know God's purposes. People pleasers, how many more days of your life do you want to waste? People pleasers, how many more days of your life do you want to waste chasing after people's approval? What a terrible way to live. And what if, what if, what if God's kingdom coming, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, what if that's actually the resilient way to live? That actually matches pitch with who God made you to be and how God made you to be, right? So there's the, there's the big picture of God's purposes, which is God's writing a redemption story. Redemption story. Redemption story is the worst thing that happens isn't the last thing that happens. Redemption story is the worst thing that happens, the bad thing that happens isn't the most defining thing that happens. The redemption story is that God so loved the world that he sent his son to redeem a broken and lost world. And you're invited to be a part of that story. The redemption story that God wants to write is being worked in you and through you. And so, my friends, there's particulars within that. There's particular callings, particular purposes that God might have in there. But every single thing that God's going to call you to do is to be a part of that redemption story. That, my friends, is worth building your life around. That's worth chasing after all your days. And when we forget that, and we cave back into people-pleasing, we lose sight of why we're actually here, what we're actually here to do. 
and we're way less resilient, way weaker, which is exactly what we see happen with Peter and the next story we're going to look at. So Peter unlocks ministry to the Gentiles. I mean, he's really the one that goes and unlocks this whole thing. But after him comes the Apostle Paul, who starts churches all over the Mediterranean basin that are mixtures of Jews and Gentiles together, which is this crazy thing never happened before. They're all trying to work this out. So about 10 years after Peter went to Cornelius' house and unlocked ministry to the Gentiles, Paul is writing a letter to a church he helped start in Galatia. He helped start this church. It's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And in this letter to the Galatians, Paul is telling a story where the same Peter who was so courageous in the face of critics just a few years earlier caved in to the lie and the pressure of people pleasing. And we're going to see how that plays out and how that, and how that affected him and the people around him. So here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to the Galatians, telling a story about Peter that happened a few years earlier that shows how Peter caved in to the peer pressure of the critics around him. Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas, that's Peter's nickname, Peter came to Antioch, one of the churches that Paul helped start that was super mixture of Gentiles and Jews together, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, as before certain Jews came from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Why? Read this next phrase with me. Why? Because he was afraid. Afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group, the Christian Jews. So the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Here's a summary statement. Peter did something stupid because he was afraid of what they would think. Peter did something stupid because he was afraid of what they would think, those people might think, how they might respond, what they might do. My friends, how many mistakes in your life could you say is matched by the same thing, exact same thing? There's a phrase, I did something that was against Jesus, against my priorities, against my values, against what was good and right, because I was afraid of what other people might think. When people's opinions and potential criticism are big and God is small, we do stupid, sinful things, including discriminating against a whole group of people, including sort of violating the way of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. We do things that we regret later. We talk bad about other people behind their back. We gossip about them to score points with the person we want to impress. We twist ourselves in knots to try to get other people to like us and approve us. When we're so eager for people's approval, we will do any number of things that cause all kinds of problems, including sinning against ourselves and people around us, even people that we think we love, in order to get someone else to like us and approve of us. And notice that Peter's response isn't just about Peter. Peter Peter's response, what Peter did, he led other Jews to join him. Even Barnabas, who's a great-hearted man, was also led astray. So a church that is a signpost of God's reconciling work between people, in this case Jews and Gentiles, which had always been antagonistic and had animosity for centuries, a church that's supposed to be a reconciling agent now looks just like the whole rest of the culture, whole rest of the world. The church must be different, distinctive. There's power in the blood of Christ Jesus to bring people together like nothing else. But because Peter was building his life around people-pleasing, he capitulates, he caves in. And now the church looks like every other messed up community in the world. And Peter leads people astray. So Peter leads this crowd astray. The same Peter that stood up to a crowd of critics in Acts 11. Caves back in here a few years later. He can't sort of stay strong. Now, if you know anything about Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. Paul's not having any of this, right? Paul is not exactly an indirect human being. He's very direct. 
He's, a, he's, he's, not, he's not afraid to have conflict. So Paul, here's how Paul finishes up telling the story. Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with what? Read that part. They were acting in, li- acting in line with what? The truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Which is just a very complicated way of saying, Peter, you're living by a lie. It's sinful. It's stupid. And it's causing all this division. It's completely against the way of Jesus. It's complete rebellion against the way of Jesus. And oh yeah, by the way, you're less resilient as a result. And oh yeah, by the way, this whole community now is less resilient as a result. And what's the truth that would have set Peter free? The truth that would have set Peter free is the truth of the gospel. That's the truth that sets us free. The truth of the good news. That every single one of us is made in God's image. That sets us free. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. That is, every single one of us has fallen short of who God made us to be and how we're called to live in light of God and God's truth, God's grace, God's mercy, God's commands, God's call. All of us have different things that can keep us from knowing and achieving the the status and the personhood that God called us to be. So all of us have fallen short of who God made us to be. And so God so loved the whole world, he sent his son, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. My friends, this is the great leveling ground. The ground is level at the cross. We have the same problem. We have the same need. We have the same savior. We have the same power to reconcile us to God and to each other, even across typical dividing lines, race, ethnicity, class, political party. There's a reconciler and a redeemer. That brings people together like nothing else can. He loves us. He is for us. He is with us. And when you live your life in line with the truth of the gospel, here's what happens. Well, when you live by the lie of people pleasing, people get hurt, communities get broken, and we are weaker people. That's what happens when you live by the lie of people pleasing. When you live by the truth of the gospel, people around us are blessed, community flourishes, and we are more resilient. That's the beauty of the truth of the gospel. That's what happens when we live by the truth, the truth that sets us free. If Peter had remembered the truth of the gospel, he would have been free to be a more courageous, more resilient reconciler like he was in Acts 11. Instead, he caved in to the lie of people-pleasing, and that made him weaker and made everyone around him weaker because it is the truth that sets us free. Today's wildly important take-home is just sort of gathering some of these threads together. Here's a prayer for us people-pleasers, us recovering people-pleasers. Here's a prayer for us. Lord Jesus, I am replacing the lie of chasing after people's approval. I'm not going to do this anymore, trying to get their likes and their approval, their thumbs up on social media, or them to accept me. With standing firm in both the truth of the gospel, here's who I am, made in God's image, redeemed by Jesus, a follower of Christ, and a life of pursuing the purposes of God. I'm not building my life around pursuing people's approval. I'm not building my life around pursuing people's acceptance. I am pursuing my life, pursuing the purposes of God. My friends, over the last three weeks, we've uncovered sort of three core lies, right? The, God, the lie of performance. You are your performance and your accomplishments and your grades or your achievements. You are your stuff that you've accumulated. And or today we're talking about the lie of people-pleasing. And when these lies are running your life, they will ruin your life. And so here's one more wildly important take. We're gonna, this, this is the, kind of the wrap-up of the first part of this resilience series about dealing with these core lies. Here's one more thing that I want to kind of say. You have a spiritual void in your life. You were made with a kind of a spiritual shape, like a God-shaped hole in your heart. And here's what's true. You cannot fill a spiritual hole with your accomplishments, your stuff, or other people's approval. You can only fill it with God's Holy Spirit. 
You can't fill a spiritual hole with your performance, with your stuff, or other people's approval. You can only fill the spiritual hole that God created you with, with God's Holy Spirit, with the power of God, the grace of God, and the presence of God. Because when the Holy Spirit is animating you, you're free. When the Holy Spirit's animating you, you're free to be more resilient, more alive, more generous. You're free to work hard and not have it define you. You're free to accumulate stuff and you're free to give it all away. When the Holy Spirit's animating you, you are free, you are free, you are free. And when you're bound up in these lies, you try to fill that spiritual void with all this other stuff, you just get all tangled up in all that stuff. And so today, as we move to our communion celebration, we celebrate the good news, the truth of the gospel, that God so loved the world, he sent his son to take away sin. That you, might have to live, that you might not have to live by lies anymore. That you might actually be set free to live as God designed you to live. Not with stuff in that God-shaped hole. Not with people's approval, your own performance. You are set free to live with the spirit inside you. Animating you and awakening you and setting you free. This morning as we move to our time of communion in just a few minutes, we're going to have the prayer team actually available, usually available back there in the prayer room. Today, I'm going to, I've asked them to stay here in the room because we've spent three weeks trying to kick over lies, trying to uncover lies. And sometimes to be set free from lies, you need a little extra help. Sometimes you need a little extra help from people who are pray over you and say, yes, I'm going to help you be set free from the lie that you know you've been tangled up with. Because some of you have been tangled up in the performance lie for years, for decades. Some of you have been tangled up in the accumulation lie for days, weeks, months, years, decades. Some of you have been caught up in the people-pleasing lie for days, weeks, months, years, decades. And for some of you, you're like, I don't even know how to get rid of this thing. This morning, as we prayer team out and around the room, as we move to the communion stations, I want to plead with you, go get your freedom. Go get your freedom. You don't have to be tangled up in a lie. You can walk out of the doors this morning a little more free from a lie that has trapped you maybe your entire adult life. Leave here more free. Go get some prayer. Allow the Lord to speak into the lies that have tangled you up and diminished you and trapped you so that you might walk out of here full of the spirit that God made you for. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he did what he's always doing. He took ordinary things and made them extraordinary. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. We celebrate the good news, the truth of the gospel, who is that, that God so loved us. He sent his son to do just this work, to set us free from being trapped in lies, that we might become people of the spirit who are free, free from lies, free to live as God designed us to. So as we move now to our time of communion, just a few logistics. We have three stations here, two up front, one in the back. If you're at home, we invite you to, to gather up your stuff and, uh, and then hold on to the elements. The bread is gluten-free here. The cup is grape juice, so everyone's invited. As you move to the stations again, there'll be folks who are around and available to pray for you at, at the corners of the room and in the back as well. I invite you to go and get some prayer. As we come to this table, this is uh, not Chatham Community Church's table. This is Jesus' table. So if you belong to Jesus, this meal belongs to you. If you've declared your faith in Jesus to a body of believers somewhere, maybe you were baptized as an adult or even as a kid, but you've declared your faith to Jesus and to somebody believer somewhere, then this meal is for you. If you've not yet given your life and your eternity over to Jesus, we are so glad you're here. We just ask you to wait on this meal. Or better yet, maybe today you want to be set free from lies. 
Maybe today you're realizing I've been tangled up in lies for so, mu so much of my life, and I want to be set free. I want to invite you to go get prayer, to say I want to receive Jesus. I want to walk in the freedom of Christ. I want to receive that forgiveness and walk in that grace and mercy. Go get prayer, and then come grab these elements, and let's eat and drink together. My friends, Christ has come to set you free. Let us celebrate that freedom and enter this meal that he gave us. A picture of what he has done for us to set us free. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, thank you so much for meeting us right where we are. You use ordinary things to speak spiritual truths. You use bread and this cup to teach us what's true. You are good. You're patient with us. But, Lord, you so want us to be set free from lies. And so, Lord Jesus, as we get up to move to these stations, even as we sit here right now, would you awaken us to the ways that lies are at work in our hearts and our minds and our spirits? Would we be more awake to those lies? And Lord Jesus, if you want to free us from a lie today, would we be courageous enough to go get prayer? Just to come to the prayer, the prayer, the prayer person and to say, I want to be set free from this lie. And Lord, would the prayer of the intercessors be powerful here in this room and here in this space? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here to do whatever work you need to do in our hearts to set us free to know the good news of the King who has come to lay down his life, that we might be set free from lies, to walk in the power of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We pray in that man, strong in my name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.